Good morning, fellowship. You can have a seat. Hey, I know most of y'all know uh, it's one of our teaching pastors. It's always our. It's also our college pastor here, Garland Autry. I have personally known him for about eighteen years, and for eighteen years he's made bold predictions of football picks. <laughs> and for eighteen years he's been wrong. Until this year, his bold prediction was that we would beat all the Texas teams and it has come true. Can we celebrate that? <laughs> Woo! Now, it's fun to celebrate something, to be unified together, celebrating something. And if you are new to our church, that's what we do here. And I'm not talking about celebrating the hogs. It is that we have this model of ministry is called cell celebration. And basically what we do is we gather here on Sunday mornings to celebrate what God is doing in our lives and is doing in our city and is doing in the world. And then we have small groups, cell groups or community groups uh, that we gather together so people can get to know each other and help each other in their walk with Christ. And so if you're new, please just take a, take a snap of that and somebody will be in contact with you because we want you plugged in. We want you known. We want people who are helping you grow in your relationship with Christ. You know, I've been walking with the Lord uh, for, gosh, I don't even want to give away my age, maybe 26 years now. And you always have these stories that, that, that kind of stick out. And I, I remember as a young believer, I was working at this sports camp. And one of the things that the sports camps did is they did a camp for kids with disabilities and special needs. And I heard a story that always stuck with me is that at this camp, each counselor was assigned to one student, one, one kid who was there, and there was uh, a counselor who had a kid with uh, a lot of special needs who was bound to a wheel, wheelchair and couldn't communicate physically or verbally. And what this counselor would do every morning would take that wheelchair and roll it down next to the lake, and then he would open up the Bible and just read to this child. And often as he was reading to this child, just tears would begin to stream down his cheeks. And, and somebody walked by one time and just asked him, he just says, hey, do you think you're just wasting your time doing that? And he said this, he says, no, I believe the word of God will never return empty. And what he was doing, he was quoting Isaiah 55, 11, that says this, we take a look at it. So is my word that goes, goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And I remember as a young believer that just having such an impact on me. And it had an impact too of just somebody who had just such faith in the word of God, that the word of God would accomplish its purposes. And about a month ago, I was up here and we were talking about a project that we were adopting. We call it the NOSU Project. It's a Bible translation project for a group of people in Africa, about 33 to 40 million people who speak a certain language and they don't have the scripture translated for them. And we kind of kicked it off and man, what a great response from the body. And I just want to thank you all so much that thousands of dollars has already been given but I also just want to tell you that this is a big project that's probably going to take about 10 years to accomplish. So it's something that we're going to continue to talk about and continue just to encourage y'all. And if you have not heard about it, uh, you can take a picture of this QR code 
But also you can pick up one of these flyers in the foyer. And I do believe that the word of God will not return empty and it'll accomplish the purpose for which it's sent. And we have the opportunity to send it to millions of people and to see it impact lives. Hey, last thing. Um, also, when I was up here about a month ago, we, we prayed for an Afghan student that had actually even come here and been a part of the college service. And that morning after we prayed, he was stuck in Kabul. And after that morning, literally after this congregation prayed, an organization contacted us and provided a way for him to get out of Afghanistan. And him and his wife and his sister for the past month have been in a neighboring country in a safe house. And this morning, God willing, this morning, if everything works out, he's going to have the opportunity to fly out of that country into another one. And so could we just pray for that this morning? Could we just pray that uh, that is accomplished and they're transported safely to another area? Join me. Dear God, I thank you so much that your word does not return void, does not return empty. That where it goes, dear Lord, and when people begin to hear it and read it and digest it, that it is living and active and has the power to change lives. And God, I thank you that this church is just adopting this uh, translation project. I thank you, dear Lord, that it has the opportunity to affect millions of people. May we not grow weary, may we not grow tired in seeing that task accomplished. And dear Lord, we wanna pray for our Afghani friend and his mom and his sister, that God, that you would just line everything up for them to be transported out of the country that they're in into a safer place. Dear Lord, we pray for their faith too, that they come to know you. We pray that they'll see that believers are gathering around them and taking care of them, dear Lord. And may they be drawn to you. God, we pray for this service. May we celebrate the things that you're doing here in this town and in the world. In your name I pray, amen. Church, if you don't know me, my name's Isaiah Mina, and I get the privilege to be one of the worship pastors here at Fellowship Fayetteville. Um, and we're a big body this morning. There's many of us in this room, there's many of us on the stage, but together, we're all leading worship to one another, whether um, leading worship for the person on our right or our left, or the person to our front or our back. This morning, we're all leading worship together. So we're gonna sing some songs that I think most of us will know, um, but sing out. Sing loudly, sing with joy. Yeah. Wherever you're at, whether you're on a mountaintop moment this last week or whether you're in a season or you're in the valley or somewhere in between, we know that we serve a God that is good, that is with us, and that desires to meet with us this morning as we worship. So let's stand this morning and we'll sing this morning.
remain standing for the reading of the word this morning. First Timothy chapter two, verse 24. First of all, then, I urge all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place that the men should pray lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. This is the word of the Lord. Guys can be seated this morning. Thank you, Isaiah, and thank you, team. Did they do a great job leading us this morning? Thank you. Leading us into the presence. It was 1976, and uh, I was playing on a football team, and we were in the semifinals of the state championship. And it was the fourth quarter with seven minutes to go, and we were behind by two touchdowns. And I remember so vividly praying, Lord, help us to win this game. Lord, help us win this game. And I remember afterward feeling guilty about asking God to help us win a football game. Now, we did win the football game and went on to win the state championship. I still got the ring, but it, it's, it doesn't fit anymore. It shrunk. And we won that game, but I felt guilty for a long time about praying for a silly football game. But here's what I didn't understand until later on, reading the scripture more is the reminder that God knows the numbers of hairs on our head, that he is intimately concerned about every aspect of our lives, even if it's a ball game. God is concerned. God wants to be involved. And the point was, now don't, don't think that I was some kind of good little Christian back then. I was a hypocrite. I had, I had my moments. But the point was, is that, that I even thought to talk to God at all about the crisis. That was the good thing. So let me begin our thoughts this morning on prayer from this portion of Scripture that Isaiah just read by asking you the question, do you pray? Is it a regular part of the rhythm of your life? Corey Chin Boom said this. Look at this quote. She said, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Well, that's a great convicting point, isn't it? Is it your steering wheel? Does it guide you through life? Is, is that what prayer is? Talking to God, communing with him? Does that guide your every move? Or is it just a spare tire that you use only in case of emergencies if you're behind by two touchdowns in the fourth quarter? Do you just pull prayer off the shelf once in a while? Well, I want to challenge you today. I'm just going to tell you from the outset to become a prayer warrior. 
I believe that if you make a choice to become a prayer warrior and dedicate your life to a life of prayer before God, that as you get to the end of life, you will look back and you will say, that's one of the most important decisions that I ever made to become a prayer warrior. I've become more and more aware that the Christian church in America prays very little. It's sad. I can just imagine God waiting on us, waiting on us to allow him to be involved in every aspect of our lives. But, but we're afraid he's going to say something different than what we want to hear. Or we just don't think of him at all. By our actions, we think we can handle things without him. It seems that the church of Ephesus had an issue with this as well. And that's why Paul addresses it. That they were ignoring the priority of prayer. Of all of our responsibilities as believers in Christ, one of the most important is that priority of prayer. Our praise of God is powerless if our lives are prayerless. Our efforts for God are hindered if our prayers are infrequent and feeble. We need more of Him. Our prayers shouldn't be just an attempt to control God or get Him to do our bidding. He's not a short order cook at a Waffle House. Where you ask for something and He brings your order and you're frustrated if He doesn't give you exactly what you want. That's not our relationship of communing with God in prayer. In prayer... We don't change God, but God changes us. It's in that process of prayer that God changes us. We draw nearer to Him. And our relationship grows stronger when we practice sincere, heartfelt prayer. We're reminded that God is sovereign when we come before Him. And we're reminded of what a privilege it is to step into His presence. I've had those moments in my life, though, when God has answered my prayers specifically. And I, I could tell you about some of them. They, literally, when I think through the list of things that God has answered, specific prayers, it gives me chill bumps. Because there were times he answered in ways that I thought were impossible. But we need to remember that nothing is impossible with God. And when those moments happened, it was like he leaned down and whispered in my ear, I'm here. I'm listening. Remember. Paul instructs us in these verses that the church can be built up and be made stronger through the power of prayer. And we're going to look closely at the priorities of prayer that you see on the screen. The necessity of prayer, the objects of prayer, the reasons for prayer, the basis for prayer, the attitude for prayer. They're all in this passage and I'm going to add one little addendum. The power of prayer because I think it's so important. Let me read you a few quotes about prayer. I've collected quotes for years and years. I have a book that has almost 70 or 80 pages of quotes. But uh, this first one is by Leith Samuel. He says, real prayer is communion with God. By it, 
We express our trust in him, seek to know his mind on the decisions of life, submit to his will, and resist in his name the efforts of the devil to frustrate God's loving purposes in human lives. That's a good quote to grab, to contemplate later on for your prayers. Seek to know him, submit to his will. C.S. Lewis said, what most often interrupts my prayers is not great distractions, but tiny ones. Things one will have to do or avoid in the course of the next hour. That encouraged me so much to read that because I've got some OCD and some ADD and I can be interrupted so quickly. I can be praying and squirrel, off I go. All those things, OCD, ADD, all that, or ADHD, whatever it is, um, Things they give you medicine for now, they just used to whip us and put, put us in the corner back when I was a kid for it. You, you know what I'm saying? I can see all of those of you who can relate. They say, yeah, that's exactly what happened. But I can get so distracted by the little things. And so that's why I have to get away when I pray. I get away and I, I have a place now where I go and it's quiet and it's private. And I have my prayer with God so I won't be distracted. But it meant a lot to me to read that C.S. Lewis, a guy of his stature, was, he was distracted too. So don't feel bad about it when you are. Richard Foster said, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. I tell every community group that I'm a part of, if you want to really love this group with the love of the Lord, then you'll begin to pray for each person in the group every day. And you may not know their needs. And this leads me to a quote by Barbara Harris, who says, one of the things that makes God, God, is that he knows everything. So when I have wishes in regard to other people, I just say their names. I let him fill in the rest. I just keep saying the names of people I love. It's such a beautiful way to prayer, to just say the names, to just have a list of people in your life that you say their names before the Lord. You don't need to know all of their business in order to pray specifically for them. God knows. The Holy Spirit knows. Just ask on their behalf. And Oswald Chambers says that isn't the meaning of that process. He says the meaning of prayer is that we get a hold of God, not the answer. The answer may not come in our time. But the fact is, it's like me standing there praying for that game is I was getting a hold of God. I remembered that I, that I thought to pray for him. And then P.T. Forsyth said, the worst sin is prayerlessness. We usually think of murder, adultery, or theft as among the worst, but the root of all sin is self-sufficiency, independence from God. When we fail to wait prayerfully for God's guidance and strength, we are saying, with all of our actions, if not our lips, that we do not need him. God, I got this. Don't need your input on this one. If we don't say that with our lips, we do say it with our actions because we do not include him in even the smallest decisions of life. So let's jump into the passage, verse 1, or chapter 1 of First uh, Timothy, chapter 2, excuse me, of First Timothy. Don't know where I am. Verse 1, I urge then, I urge then. Let's just stop right there because he's making reference to 
what was just said. So what did he just say? It's, it's like having the word therefore in a passage. We need to look back for context. I urge then, he's going back to, let's go back to verse 18 of chapter 1. Timothy, my, my son, I am giving you this command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. In keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. We have an enemy, Satan. If you don't believe that, you're shortchanging your faith. We have an enemy, Satan, and we need help who wants to shipwreck our faith. And he lists two sad examples. I don't think he lists these two people with pride. I think he laments their loss. Among them, he says, are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. He kicked them out. The ministry of the church was too precious to be bankrupted by rebellion from within. One of the reasons Paul is writing this letter is keep, to keep the church from being shipwrecked. And my, 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 in the culture that we live in, how we need God's guidance to keep our church from being shipwrecked by the influences all around us. So back to verse 1, he said, I urge then, first of all, pray that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Now, in this, he's not giving us a specific list. There are seven used words used for prayer in the New Testament, and he lists four of them here. These don't build on one another or anything like that. They're, they're, they're not con conclusive of all the prayers, but he just gives us a list, and I think he's just showing us the breadth of it. We'll just hit this real quick. Petitions or supplications, as you might have in the ESV, where we focus on personal need, the needs of others. Then prayers. This is the Greek word that covers everything. This is a general word for prayer. And by the way, did you know that you can use a lot of the songs that we sing as prayers? These lyrics have been worked on and thought through and prayed over and crafted by artists. Like the one this morning we sang, light of the world, you came down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Here I am to worship, here that I am to say you're my God. You're altogether lovely. You can use that in your prayer time. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with you. You never change. Your compassions, they never fail me. As you have been, forever you will be. Great is your faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, to me. You can go on the internet and grab those lyrics of some of your favorite songs that are to God and use them in your prayer time. Beautiful time together. How great thou art. And the list just goes on and on. Songs that are to God. And then he talks about intercession. Approaching the throne of God with confidence, as we learned in Hebrews chapter 10. And in thanksgiving, Philippians 4, 6, Paul said that thanksgiving should accompany all of our prayers. We should be thankful to God that we can enter his presence. Every day should be a day of thanksgiving. 
And then he uses the word all people at the end of that. If you look back at an older translation, uh, such as the New American Standard, which is an incredible translation, but it uses the word men there. And it was understood back then that uh, when that was written, that that was referring to men and women, that was referring to mankind, that was referring to everyone. But some of the newer translations actually break that down because the Greek word is anthropos. It could be man or woman. And so it will say men or women, brothers and sisters. But here's what you're going to find. That as you go through 1 Timothy, there are Greek words used that apply directly to men or women, not men and women. And so be prepared to that. What is God's divine design? What is God calling us to do to create a healthy church? Watch for that. But this is one he says, all people. And then we look at the objects of prayer. All people for whom? He said, for all kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Nero? Really? Paul, you want us to pray for Nero? That ruthless Roman ruler who is in charge over us, you want to pray for him too? Absolutely he did. Do you think that Paul thought that Nero might come to Christ? That there might be a chance that he could come to Christ? Yes, he absolutely did. You know why? Because Paul came to Christ. And as you studied, I think it was last week, who did Paul say was the worst of all sinners? He was. He didn't say Nero. He said, I was the worst. I dragged people out of their homes. I was the one who gave permission when they wanted to stone Stephen. He rained down terror in the lives of people in the first century who followed Jesus Christ. And so he says, pray for those in authority over us that we might live peaceful, quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And in my life, as I look back, those in authority over us, they need our prayers. Do they not? Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter. I go all the way back to the time I started even paying attention to politics. They need our prayers. And so that should be a part of our prayer every day for our nation's leaders. Pray for them earnestly. That God would move their hearts. I have four that I pray for specifically. And, and, and I ask God to help them to be watchmen on the wall. Because I know those four are Christians and they're in Washington. The reasons for prayer. Verse 3. He said this is good and pleases God our Savior. That's what we want to do. We want to please God, don't we? He said this is good. And pleases him, pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. You know, I'm convinced that as we, if we spend as much time praying for our leaders and those in authority over us as we do complaining, we'd make a lot more difference. We don't make a lot of difference complaining. But if we spent that time praying for them, That's what we're instructed to do in this passage. And he reminds us yet again that God wants all people to trust Christ as their Savior. He didn't say some people. You'll never find that. He says all people. 
to come to Christ. And that was, that was his goal, to reach them all. In verse 5, we see the basis for prayer. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. You know, there was a time when there was no mediator between God and man. I think about Job, who lived in the time of the patriarchs. Good old Job. He lived, lived back there with Abraham and the boys. And you know what happened to Job? God and Satan had a conversation, and Satan wanted Job bad. And so God let him touch Job. He lost all of his family. He lost everything that he had. And he sat there with sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet in misery. And then his friends came along to try to encourage him. And one of them, Bildad, said, you know what, Job, it's all your fault. Don't you love those people? His friend, Job, it's all your fault. If you would just confess this and confess the sins of your children, then everything will be okay. And I love Job's humble response. He said, indeed, I know that this is true. But how can mere mortals prove their innocence before God? Though they wished to dispute with him, they could not answer him. One time out of a thousand. His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? He is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If, there were, if only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. And we know that God did provide that mediator, didn't he? First of all, there was the Levitical priesthood. They, they led the people in offering sacrifices that would foreshadow the coming of Christ who would shed his blood for our sins. And he is our mediator. And that is why we pray in Jesus' name. It's because he is the mediator between God and man. If I'm called on for events to pray, to do an invocation or something like that, and they ask me, please don't use the name of Jesus because it might offend someone. I just say, sorry, you got the wrong guy. Wrong guy because I'm a Christian. When I pray, I pray in the name of Jesus. Because he is the mediator. And it's a, if it's offensive to someone, I'm sorry. But I've noticed more and more when people pray, they, to the end of it, they don't say in the name of Jesus. They just say, amen. Just chop it off. When we pray, we should pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Don't follow the world's way in that. Verse 7, he said, and for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle I am telling the truth. I'm not lying. I love it that he says that. He said, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. God appointed me a herald and an apostle and a true and faithful teacher of all the Gentiles. A herald was one who came into town ringing the bell. I've got news. I've got news. An apostle was one who was sent and a teacher was one who taught the truth. But there was a price to pay. 
in doing that. He reminded Timothy of that in 2 Timothy where he told him, and of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. This is just before his death. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have committed to him for that day. That's what he was looking toward. There's a price for being a herald and an apostle and a teacher. There's a price for ringing the bell and saying Christ is here. Christ is the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And we're seeing it more and more. But hear the words of Paul. It's no cause for shame. Because it's the truth. In verse 8, the attitude of prayer, he said, Therefore I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Now in this section, he is addressing men. The Greek word is anir. He asked the men to lead out in the prayers of the church. And as I said, you're going to see the distinctions in 1 Timothy that Paul makes. And he writes about lifting up holy hands. It was a sign of surrender and humility. He's not talking about a posture. The only way your prayers will be accepted, guys, if you lift up holy hands, he's talking about their hearts. We don't lift up dirty hands to God. We don't lift up unholy hands to God. We don't lift up hands that are already full to God. We lift up empty hands. Asking for his help. And that's where we find hope. And evidently the Ephesians were struggling with this because he writes, uh, you know, not without anger or disputing. They couldn't even pray without disputes. Then there's the power of prayer. You should have this one memorized. James 5.16b, the guy who grew up with God. James, grew up in the same household. Why don't you do it like Jesus did? Can you imagine growing up with Jesus? He watched the power of prayer and he said, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You've got to believe that when you pray. You've got to believe that God can make a difference. You've got to believe that he is listening to you. I studied Daniel recently and, and you know, this was a powerful, powerful Statement as I read through this Daniel in chapter six, uh, you know, this was before uh, he was about to go into the lion's den. He knew if he didn't obey the decree that something was going to happen to him. And when he found out about that decree, it says, now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. He had a disciplined life of prayer. We've already seen that in the book of Daniel. He was a disciplined follower of God. He was in exile in Babylon. He'd been carried away in 605 BC. And there he was, away from Jerusalem. And so he'd open his window toward Jerusalem. And then in Daniel 9, I want you to see this. On the power of prayer. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, 
Israel, in making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, which is Jerusalem. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of evening sacrifice. Gabriel, the angel, comes to him. And he says, and he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. And listen to this. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. When Daniel lifted his prayers before God, it echoed in the halls of heaven. And God sent Gabriel to tell him, Daniel, you're on track. You might say, well, that's Daniel, though. That's Daniel. He's more special to God than me. Really? No, I don't think so. The ground is level around the cross of Jesus Christ. And he hears your prayers. I know we can't understand that, how he can hear and and, and answer all of our prayers, but he's God and we're not. Believe when you pray that your prayers go right to the heart of God. And just like Daniel, they echo in the halls of heaven. Did you know that prayer brought down the Berlin Wall? I remember in 1989 when that happened. You know, you saw all the politicians and everyone else. You saw all about that. But there was something that happened behind the scenes that I wasn't aware of until I read it in a book by Kent Hughes. It says, in May 1989 at Leipzig, in the historic St. Nicholas Church, where the Reformation had been introduced exactly 450 years earlier, A group of people, a small group, began to meet in one of the church's rooms to read the Sermon on the Mount and to pray for peace. The group expanded and moved to a larger room and finally began to meet in the church's nave, which began to fill up. Alarmed, the communist authorities sent officials to attend. They threatened the gatherers and temporarily jailed some. On prayer nights, they blocked the city's nearest Autobahn off-ramp. And then on October 9th, 1989, some 2,000 individuals crowded into the church to pray for peace. And another 10,000 gathered outside. And soon, the Berlin Wall came down. Coincidence, he said? No. This was the kind of response of a caring, all-powerful God to the prayers of his people. You see, it's not our schemes and our plans that make a difference. It is our prayers. Our prayers. We need to be prayer warriors. In that same year, in 1989, Fellowship Bible Church was meeting at Oakdale Junior High in Rogers. And I remember Robert Cup standing up before our congregation and asking all of us to pray. We were trying to raise money for a building it was, it was a, a trying time. And Robert asked us if we would, we would spend 1% of our day, just 1%, at least 1% of our day in prayer and the Word of God. You remember that, Gary? Just 1%. And we did. And I believe that was a lot of the reason why things began to grow and take off and money came together for us to build a building and and people just kept coming. 
it makes a difference. And so today I provided for you just a place to start. I've included in you on this QR code, if you hold your camera up to it, you can get that and it'll take you to the resources page of our website or when you get home, you can go to the resource page of our website. But, but this is my prayer template. This is what I use to pray every day. There's so many on there that I have to use abbreviations for some so it'll all fit. But I know who it is and God knows who it is. I change it out a couple of times a month. But this is what I use to pray. And so I've included that. It's got three columns on it and and some columns that you can use or you can change it up to suit yourself. But be intentional. Be intentional to become a prayer warrior. On the back, I've got some personal goals and then a place for you to put the scripture that you're memorizing. But be intentional in our prayers. Roll out of the rack. 15, 20, 30 minutes, an hour earlier so that you can spend time with Him and you will get to the point where your day feels off if you haven't prayed. Make prayer a part of your life just as much as eating. (laughs) Consuming. Communing with God. And it will change your life. It's all about what He will do in you. So could we spend just a few moments in prayer? I'll just ask you to take a deep breath. Just be still before God. Just say to Him, Lord, I want to be more faithful in my prayers. I want to talk to You. I want to walk with you. I want to hear your voice. Speak to me through your word. When I begin my prayers with the Lord, I always begin. Sovereign Lord. Lord, may you be my dwelling place. Would you guide me, Lord? Father, I pray for Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas that we would be a people of prayer. Oh, Lord, woo us and call us into your presence.
Hudson Taylor was a missionary and his son, Howard, wrote that for 40 years, the sun never rose over China, but what it didn't find, my father on his knees in prayer. Quite a testimony for a son about his father. The power of our prayers makes such a difference. Become a prayer warrior. If you'd like to pray with someone this morning, Hank and I and Matthews will be in our prayer room. And they not only are there waiting for the opportunity to pray for, pray for you, but if you have a praise, God's done something in your life you want to share, they'd love to hear that too. It's a grand opportunity. Thank you so much for your kind attention. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.